big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to thank our newest patron, Emily. Welcome to the team. And as always, if you want access to bonus content like our super fun Discord community watch parties, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash pod and prejudice. And now enjoy this week's episode talking about Austin and the queer community with our guest, Lee Douglas. This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about gay Jane Austen. Jane Austen, but gay. Yes. Um, And we are joined today by maybe the queen of gay Jane Austen, Lee Douglas. Hello, Lee. (laughs) Welcome. So excited to have you here. Yes, this is, I feel like, a a meeting of the like-minded on this podcast today. Wanted to tell our listeners a little bit about your connections to uh, the Jane Austen community, specifically the content you produce for us so necessarily on the internet. Uh, Yeah, so um, I'm a a stand-up comedian and a bit of a Jane Austen nerd. And I've been making some videos recently about um, the gay readings of Jane Austen, um, which I think are very important. They have been upsetting some people, Um, but (laughs) we move, we move. (laughs) (laughs) Are people upset because they're homophobes or are they upset about your take specifically? I think it's a combination of obviously like because I personally am a lesbian I just see everyone as a lesbian yeah (laughs) and so I'm always like I don't want to deny any other readings I can't speak to other experiences that are not my own and then also obviously yes the homophobes yeah they they do come out they do come out yeah 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 well uh we've been really lucky in the Jane Austen community I think it's probably because we have a podcast uh for most of our content that our community is so excited to hear all about our queer Jane Austen takes. And we always couch our opinions in these are subjective readings of the book, but all queer readings of Jane Austen are valid. Yes. So starting with that, uh, as our listeners can kind of hear today, we are here to talk a little bit about Jane Austen and the queer community, which is very on brand for our podcast, but a kind of fun little foray into a new format for us for an episode. I know we told you we were doing Emma next week. Sorry, surprise, we're being gay instead. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> but are those two things really so different at the end of the day? I'm not Actually, sure they are. They, they are one and the same. Yeah. 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 We'll go far into this, but specifically uh, Emma as as a whole novel has so much to offer on that front. But before we jump into all the different uh, ways one could read Emma into a lot of different queer communities, let's ask Lee a couple questions about herself uh, for the purposes of our podcast. As you are a guest on our podcast, we always ask our guests a few questions about their relationship to Jane Austen, starting with what is your relationship to Jane Austen? Uh, yes, I'm a, I'm a big Jane 
obsess er um yes no I I read all the Jane Austen books like far too young um had absolutely no idea that I was an Irish peasant descended from Irish peasants very much had ideas above my station <laughs> as a child as a result of Jane Austen but I was completely obsessed with the BBC Pride and Prejudice I had it on a double VHS so I would literally have to like swap over the VHS tapes halfway through and I think there are entire parts of my personality that are based off of various performances in that miniseries. Like there's a mm. big part of me that just is Alison Steadman's performance as Mrs. Bennett. It's just like ingrained on my soul because I watched it so many times. And I actually got cast as Lady Catherine de Bourgh in drama school, which is like, obviously that would only ever happen in drama school. You get like a 21 year old cast as Lady Catherine yeah. de Bourgh. But, um, I went into the first day of rehearsals and the director was like, Lee, I'm sorry. I just, I don't think there's anywhere for this performance to go. You've already hit 100% on day one. <laughs> so I don't think you have anything to learn. So I'm going to change your role. <laughs> oh my goodness. As someone who also was 21 getting cast as the Catherine de Berg character in every single play, that spoke to me so spiritually <laughs> when you're like, yeah. She gives off a powerful energy for a, a child. Let's let's have her play a middle-aged woman and see if she can capture that energy. <laughs> I was just came out of the womb middle-aged, apparently. Oh, same. So question number two, which Jane, I think you actually answered this, but which Jane Austen content speaks to you the most? It can be adaptation, tweet, book, song lyric. Um, yeah, I think 100% the BBC Pride and Prejudice was very much my like entry point. And then I read all of the books when I was like far too young to really fully grasp them. Um, but I think my favorite book has always been Persuasion. So I'm very excited that you're doing Persuasion next. Oh, we're very excited. This one's actually new to both of us. It will not be new to me in a few weeks. But for now, I'm really excited because like, we, without giving too much away, um, I have read Mansfield Park and we have yet to read Mansfield Park yet, but everyone's so excited for us to read Persuasion that we were like, we'll take a break before we get into Mansfield Park to do something that people really, really love. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very good choices. Also, I will say uh, the 95 uh, BBC Colin Firth Pride and Prejudice is mm, chef's kiss perfection mm. also jennifer eel i think a, an awakening for a generation of queer women yeah me already being queer watched her and was like oh yes confirmed <laughs> yeah for molly it's really just a race to the finish line between colin firth and jennifer ely yeah that whole series is really for my bisexual heart is just like what am i doing so I have to watch all six at a time. Yeah. To, to really know. Yeah. <laughs> Question number three, which Jane Austen character do you relate to the most? I always would have said Anne Elliot from Persuasion. But I think as I've gone through my Saturn return, I've really had to be more honest with myself and be more self-aware. And I think I am a Marianne Dashwood. Mm. Oh, mm -hmm. We love a Marianne Dashwood on this podcast. As a Marianne Dashwood, yes, I agree. <laughs> Yeah, 
just I can't get away from the like Zoe Deschanel fringe that I once had and the amount of times that I listened to all of the Adele albums. Anyone who repeated Adele, actually, you know what, though? I was going to say anyone who repeated Adele is a big um, Marianne Dashwood, but also Eleanor Dashwood. The vibe is very much the noise canceller Adele album on repeat. Well, you sit stone faced and pretend everything is fine. Or like heavy metal. Mm. Yeah. It's like what people think I'm listening to versus what I'm actually <laughs> listening to. I feel like Marianne's also a big like Fiona Apple vibe. Mm. Just like any sad girl music, really. Yeah. Um, last question before we get into some of our discussion for today. Uh, what's your hottest Austin take? I believe that Jane Austen herself was playing for my team. I think she was a queer woman. I mean, I just feel that you can't write the character of Charlotte Lucas without knowing what's up. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I just, Mm -hmm. in order to be able to queer code characters, you have to understand that queerness exists. Yes. Yes. You actually posted a reel about this like yesterday, I think. I was watching it today and I was like, oh. Yeah, she is sitting in the corner with her bonnet and sipping her tea and being like, "Mm mm-hmm. Straight people. (laughs) I love this take because for me, when it comes to thinking about Jane Austen and who her equals are, who who really fits her vibe the best, I kind of think it's Oscar Wilde because with both of them, it's just like outrageously funny content about high-class people in England written from the perspective of someone who has a bit of a self-awareness and a tongue-in-cheek, like like an outsider looking in almost. Mm. It takes a certain brain to really like pull out from what you're experiencing and see it. And I mean, obviously, Oscar Wilde being Irish has a very specific perspective as well. But a lot of that comes from the fact that he was, you know, a gay man. And so to look at Jane Austen and say, you pulled out and you critiqued something really intensely. And that is a perspective that denotes an outsider status in this society. I love that take. I think that's a really cool take. Yeah. And she was perpetually single. Exactly. And I think (laughs) also there's it's it's like a perfect marriage of like Oscar Wilde with like a smattering of Emily Dickinson. It's just like it's all coming together. And I think it makes sense that if Oscar Wilde is a queer man, I think they've always been, queer men have always been more visible in society. So it makes sense that it would, to me, in my mind, that it would be more of like an open secret that Oscar Wilde was queer, whereas people just didn't see it with Jane Austen. I mean, the fact that the Emily Dickinson is queer narrative came out like 10 years ago is insane if you read her letters. Well, I just actually watched a new musical called Show Me Eternity that was all about Emily Dickinson's queerness. And it was, first of all, my favorite thing that I saw in 2023. Um, Happy 2024, everyone. But second of all, it was just, it was stunning. A lot of the text is like taken from the letters and her poetry as well. And it's all written through Susan's perspective and like with flashbacks to her relationship with Emily and just like, sobbing um at also the fact that like there are so many people it just I know that we talk a lot about like okay well they're best friends <laughs> like what history will call best friends but like it's so devastating that that is n- not only 
happening back then when people are like forced to have the narrative that they're best friends. But that's still happening to celebrities like with their best friends. So it's just it's crazy to think that like in 50 years, like maybe we'll be reading, I don't know, Taylor Swift's letters with what's her face. Um, but Are, I get are we going to dive that. into Gaylor on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Not too deeply, but yeah. <laughs> a touch, a touch. If that musical is still running or has another run, I'm going to have to take my girlfriend because she's obsessed with Emily Dickinson. Oh my God, then she would love it. We were just, we were weeping. Um, I, I hope that it goes to Broadway. I honestly could see it. It was so good. I will fly to America to see that 100%. Amazing. Listen, if it comes on Broadway, you can come hang out with us. We're both New York based, so you can come see it. We'll we'll get dinner and we'll watch Emily Dickinson sing our heart out to Susan Dickinson. Really quick side tangent. I actually played Susan Dickinson once in a play. Incredible. I was in high school and I was in like some really like hoity-toity theater program. And um, the play we did was called Wild Nights with Emily. And it was about oh. Emily Dickinson's queer identity and her love story with Susan Dickinson. And I certainly sure did play Susan Dickinson at, in that play. So. Was, was that high school appropriate? Wild <laughs> nights with Emily Dickinson? <laughs> well, no, it was um, it was actually pretty appropriate. It did not get past like forehead kisses and weeping over letters to each other. Um, it was just... Uh, called Wild Nights because it was based on that poem by Emily Dickinson, Wild Nights, Wild Nights, Where I Would Thee. Right. But so like in Show Me Eternity, the musical that I was just talking about, when they're talking about Wild Nights, it is definitely about banging. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) And she's like reading it directly to her face. Although what you just described does also sound extremely gay, forehead kisses and... Yeah, it was very much... um, It was back in 2010. I want to say 2010 and it was a uh very like it was like a bunch of 16 year olds who were told for the first time that Emily Dickinson was a lesbian and they're like oh that makes sense and then we're all just like you know going ham on our like most romantic performance ever um so yeah that was that that was my experience back in high school playing Susan Dickinson in Wild Nights with Emily it was a, it was a fun production um back in the day wow well, speaking of things being gay, it's time. <laughs> let's talk about Jane Austen. <laughs> Segway. Let's talk about what about Austen's work draws in us gays. The disdain. I think it's largely the disdain. It's the fact that she's like looking at her society and essentially looking down on people, which I think queer people are very good at. Mm. Um, she writes like so sardonically that it just feels like it's coming from a queer gaze to me. And the way that she can just like encapsulate the different kind of gender politics and personality types of different like gender identities. And it's still so relevant today, I think as a queer person looking at like a heteronormative society. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think also queer people are very good at finding communities and we're very big into fandom and we love to obsess. So I think that the Jane Austen fandom seems like a space where we can just like be with each other. Does that make sense? hundred percent. And I think also all of the books are about heroines making a time that's set up against them 
work for them and them succeeding, which I think queer people can really relate to of like, the world's not necessarily set up for me, but I'm going to make it, I'm going to make the rules work for me and find love. I love that. Yeah. I actually, I was going to say, so like from, I will speak from an outsider perspective on this one, but what I have also seen is like the, the romance of the stories is also so fun in a lot of different ways for a lot of different communities. And I think that particularly like romance through etiquette and adversity is something that Jane Austen wrote very well and something that a lot of queer communities still connect to. And I say this from my perspective as an ally, so I don't want to tread toes. No, you're so right. Like the whole like etiquette and the coding of like is all something that I think the queer community still really connects with in terms of like, I'm going to wear this color handkerchief, like the handkerchief code and all of this kind of stuff, I think is very kind of you can apply it so well to Jane Austen. Absolutely. Also, um, the balls, the parties, like... (laughs) No, okay, I realized it sounded like I was saying, like, the balls, but... Yeah, the balls. I'm thinking of, like, um, the ballroom culture of it all and, like, gay bars and going out and, like, courting people is such a big part of the queer culture, um, and it's also such a big part of Jane Austen's culture. Yeah, 100%. This kind of leads into our second question, which is about the plethora of gay... Austin content that has started to come out in the last few years, particularly the last five years. And by some examples, I would say um, friend of the podcast, Zachary Grady and his incredible podcast, Gay Pride and Prejudice and Fire Island, which came out at the same time, which is by Joel Kim Booster and starring Joel Kim Booster, um, both really diving into the idea of like smaller portions of society like the upper class of England or the queer community where everyone knows everyone. There's really specific parties everyone goes to. There's really specific etiquette everyone follows. And so using a romantic story to sort of poke fun at the community from inside the community is something that I've seen happen quite a bit in those adaptations in particular. Totally. And thank you for, I got turned on to Gay Pride and Prejudice from your podcast. So thank Ah. you very much for that. Yay. I'm so glad. Loved it. There's also, um, I saw on Spotify a new, I mean, first of all, there's a bunch of gay Pride and Prejudice adaptations where Darcy is a woman because Darcy is such a wonderfully gender neutral name. Um, But a new one that just came out called Pride and Prejudice and Philadelphia or something like that. I don't remember what it's called, but it looks uh, hot. Before you come at me, this is Future Molly letting you know that it is Pride and Prejudice and Pittsburgh, not Philadelphia. So I was close. Back to the show. Darcy's like wearing a leather jacket. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of that, too. And also, you pointed this out in your videos, Lee, and you pointed it out in the video where you were talking about Jane Austen being a lesbian. Um, If she wasn't a lesbian, why would she write Darcy as a lesbian? Totally. (laughs) Mr. Darcy is such a lesbian. So gay. So, like, just put him in a pair of dickies. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, he is ready to go. Yeah. This is wonderful because when we were reading Pride and Prejudice, you may recall the way that Molly related to Darcy through the story was unexpected to me when we first started reading it. But that just clicked into place in a very real way. Mm, mm, Yeah. mm. Glad to be of service. (laughs) So that's Darcy. Let's talk about 
other characters, including Darcy. But first, which Austin book do you think gives off the most gay energy and which character? Oh my goodness, I have to pick just one. That is so hard. I would have to say the most gay energy, I think, is potentially coming from Sense and Sensibility. Mm. Interesting. Because I think the whole Edward Ferris, Lucy Steele, Eleanor Dashwood love triangle makes sense as like like lesbian ex-drama. You're so right. Yeah. <laughs> like just the ex-girlfriend in a lesbian relationship just being a huge issue and topic of discussion at all times. And I think Edward Ferris kind of makes sense as, as a as a lesbian. Yeah, I can yeah. see it. I also think there's something a little un- underlyingly sexual about the relationship between Lucy and Eleanor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So let's start with Sense and Sensibility then, since you have brought it up, and talk about some of the gay characters in this book. Who do you want to start with? Let's start with Marianne. Yes. Why not? Yeah. Um, she very much has the drama of a queer person. You know, she's living for the drama. Also... I just feel like she's so in love with being in love. I just don't think the gender would be like a barrier for her. Totally agree. Like, I just feel like it would be more, it it just is the person, I think, for her more than anything. And it just feels like heterosexuality is like her opening act. Do you know what I mean? And then she Mm. like comes to explore other options. And honestly, I kind of feel like Colonel Colonel Brandon would be like fine with that. Oh, Colonel Brandon is bisexual in my book. 100%. I feel like Colonel Brandon would be like, if you need to explore, you need to explore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The level of respect he brings to that relationship is pretty rare. Um, So I think that he would very much be of the idea, like what he likes the most about Marianne as a person is that she is someone who's exploring things and curious and excited about the world. And he he clearly is attracted to that in a person. So I do think it would track that he would allow her to explore all sides of herself and find safe harbor in him and comfort in him as well. 100%. We love our king, Brandon. We really do. Spoiler alerts for when we eventually release our live show. But Brandon did quite well in our hottie draft because... He, he exhibits a lot of dreamboat behavior. He is such a dreamboat. Yeah, there's something about him and Marianne that just give off like that really hot queer couple that you want to be in, you want to be friends with, and they'll have you over for dinner. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like they would be the kind of people that if some young queer person was struggling with their journey, they'd be like, come stay with us. We'll make you some lovely dinners and chat about your feelings. Yes, I just watched, well, not just, but I recently watched... Um, but I'm a cheerleader for the first time. Oh my God. Yes. A classic, a classic, yes. <laughs> a classic. Um, and when they like escape the summer camp and they go to stay with those, like, well, they go out and they go find that queer couple that is like, oh, you're at the place, like come hang out with us. And they find the one guy that got kicked out has been living with them and like going out every night. And that's, I think that couple is Marianne and Brandon. Definitely. Like they have a really impressive wine cellar and like, there's a lot of like discussions over a bottle of wine after dinner. Yes. Totally. I think I'd be really excited to see like Marianne's like auntie era when she's like 
she's kind of like come through her crazy phase and she's just really here for like all of the young people in her life. Yeah, which is good because Eleanor and Edward would be very like competent parents. But if the kid had, you know, emotional issues, they, that might be time for Aunt Marianne to step in. And Colonel Brandon. He's also very oh. good in those situations. He's such a daddy. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Um, and we've already established that Lucy and Edward and Eleanor are in a love triangle. And Lucy Steele does give off like that mean lesbian energy. Like she's Regina George. Yeah. Maybe confirmed in the new adaptation is going to be a mean lesbian. I'm not even ready for the new adaptation with mean girls. Like I don't even I'm I'm not sure I'm prepared. I've not I've not addressed it yet spiritually, but <laughs> I've I've addressed it with my whole heart. Like <laughs> my girlfriend and I the other night literally I don't know what did we you were, do? Well, we were like didn't feel like watching a movie and didn't feel like watching a TV show. So instead we watched Renee rap on the Terrell show, which is a 30 minute episode. And then we watched a bunch of Renee rap music videos. So ultimately we watched a movie of just Renee rap being so hot. And like, it's kind of there in the original mean girls that Regina George and um, Janice had this like Mm. energy between them. And she was like, they they were fighting and she was like, oh, my God, I can't have a lesbian at my party. But like, I think that they're going to lean into it in this new adaptation that they this is my my prediction is that they were hooking up and mm. Regina didn't want to go public with it because she is closeted. And Janice was like, OK, well, bye. And then Regina outed her to a bunch of people. Mm. And now like because also. And I don't I don't watch this show, but in the Sex Lives of College Girls, like what's her face? Renee Rapp plays. Renee Rapp. Yeah. She plays a character who is closeted and has that kind of storyline. Not exactly that storyline, but yeah, you're correct. She she plays her character in Sex Lives of College Girls is fascinating because she she's the best character in the show. She steals the show. She's amazing. I'm obsessed with her on it. Um, but she plays a character who's like, I live in a world where people can be queer and it's really accepted and that's great. But like my personal world, I come from like so much of womanhood is defined by like dating a boy and like being a girly girl in like a friendship. So like, there's like a, I know it's fine for me to do this, but I personally like in my own life feel like that doesn't fit with what I'm supposed to be. It's very interesting story. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. 
Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now, back to this episode. Um, speaking of mean girls... Yes. Uh, to to head to a different book that also gives off very queer lady energy. Let's get into Emma for a second. Let's let's let us let us get into Emma. Let us really get into Emma. Um. Yeah. Ob- the obsessed with a female teacher, as we all were. Very gay. Yes. Yeah. It's like, oh, my teacher is my best friend. Very gay. <laughs> and then the fact that she's like got this really really intense friendship with Harriet Smith, who she has a kind of awkward amount of power over, is very kind of like toxic first girlfriend energy, dare I say. Mm. Mm. For me, it's the um, inexplicable obsession with Jane Fairfax. Yes. Why are you so obsessed with me? Literally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not my fault you're like in love with me or something. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The one-sided competition that like only Emma is aware of is just yeah. like... <laughs> It's so I'm not out to myself yet. Yeah. Yes. And I think that Jane, if given the opportunity, would one be friends with Emma? Like she genuinely wants that friendship. And two, I would have nothing but love for her. Like they would be together. Yeah. If that were written today, like they would end up together. In in my opinion, this book gives off the most gay energy. Mm, it, mm. Like sens- sensibility I get because there's a lot of characters that like give like the storylines feel very queer, but Emma, it's just like the energy. It's such a feminine energy. Like the men are kind of okay. There, well, they're there, except for Mister Knightley, who. <laughs> but <laughs> but he's the only man. But even the fact that Emma's there, being like the only man I could possibly see myself ever loving, is my existing male best friend. Yeah is a little suspect to me. Yes, and she has to pick a man because of the time period in which she's living. So of course she's going to pick her best friend. Yeah. I also want to give shouts here to um, the fact that a lot of members of the ACE community have uh, enjoyed our coverage of Emma and the reading of Emma as an ACE character, um, where her like complete disconnect with romance for most of the book can be read a couple different ways. It can be read as just an aversion to men. Mm. Her obsession with women can certainly be read as a love of women and a lot of fans of this podcast who are ace have also seen Emma as as an ace character who might have some notions of romance but doesn't have that sort of connection with romance that a lot of non-ace people might have and so I think that what's fun about Emma as a character particularly is that her interesting relationship with romance and marriage in her time period is not only revolutionary but also lends itself to a lot of people feeling seen by kind of the rejection of the conventional. 
if that makes sense. 100%. And I think also important to note that, you know, obviously asexual lesbians also exist. So Mm, it could be that she feels more of an affinity with women, but is also an asexual person. Absolutely. Yeah. Emma is really the buffet of queer readings, I think, because there's so many different ways to read her very complex relationship with um, her own senses of romance and sexuality. And it makes her a much more fun character to talk about, frankly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, who else in Emma is gay? Who else in Emma? I mean, a Miss Bates, perhaps, perchance. Repping it for the spinster daughters of yore. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I mean, speaking of spinster daughters, this might be a segue into talking about Charlotte Lucas and Pride and Prejudice. Oh, the icon. Yeah, the lesbian queen of the Jane Austen canon. I, You cannot convince me that Charlotte and Lizzie don't have history. Because Lizzie, like, it's like, why are you so upset, hon? Like, your best friend has literally just saved herself from destitution. She has feelings about it. There's history there, and you can't convince me otherwise. Oh, 100%. I completely see that. And I do see Elizabeth Bennett as kind of like, she's definitely bi. She's got that like, I love books energy. And Charlotte is another one who a lot of our readers have read as being ace as well, Mm, because mm, she's mm. like, you know what? I've got this man. He's going to provide for me. I'm going to not talk to him. And I'm going to do what's best for me financially and and just like live my life and she's not like too beat up about it yeah again another one who the interesting relationship with marriage in her time period I think one can read her ace one can read her lesbian I personally in my own heart of hearts just continue to love the headcanon that after she marries Mr. Collins she and Endeberg start a incredibly fulfilling love affair Mm. while he's out gardening 100% no I think like Ultimately, I think it just goes to show the fact that we can like read these characters as queer or as as gay or as ace. I think it just goes to show that Jane Austen as an author was populating her books with people who had different relationships to romance and to sexuality than strictly heterosexual. Mm -hmm. So I think it all just goes to show that like Jane Austen had an awareness of queerness and the spectrum of sexuality and gender. Absolutely. One of the first videos I saw from you was ranking the Bennett sisters on how queer they were. (laughs) And that felt so profoundly correct. (laughs) So do you want to, do you want to give the listeners a little taste of what your, what your ranking was? Yes. Yes. So we have Kitty coming in as the most straight. Yes. Um, She just, maybe not that successfully straight, but straight nonetheless. (laughs) (laughs) From from my community, I can say that successfully straight is just maybe a fiction, especially (laughs) for straight women. Then we have Lydia coming in at number two. Uh, Oh, no, sorry. I missed Jane. How have I missed Jane? No, Jane is the straightest of them all. Jane Mm. is the straightest of them all, but obviously a carrier for the gay gene. So um, she will have queer kids. I think her and Bingley will definitely have queer kids. And they'll be very supportive of them. Yes, and I do want to shout this out. My headcanon on this might be formed by my fiance, but Bingley gives off bi-boy energy. Yeah. Like 
there is a big part of Bingley that is a little in love with Darcy. He has a little bit of a crush. Yeah. How could he not? I mean, first of all, Darcy's hot, but he's like his best friend and he would do anything for him. Like, yeah, yeah. I I mean, I come at this first. So the context of this is that my fiance, who is bisexual, looks exactly like the 1995 Bingley actor. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Like we were watching the movie. He paused it and he went, that's me. And um is in personality very much the like like lanky bisexual golden retriever that one just once you see it it's like yeah that's Bingley dreamy dreamy <laughs> yeah. yeah so I would say Jane's straight energy is like being a straight girl in a bi relationship yes 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 yeah um Obviously, then we have Liddy coming in as like a strong hill walking bisexual. Um, just like she would definitely be like on that rock wall today um, with her fellow <laughs> bisexuals. Um, and then um, obviously queen of the gays, Mary. Mary is just so gay. So gay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was the first thing I said to you about Mary, wasn't it? <laughs> Oh, yeah. We talked about Mary being gay a lot in the early days. And and she is just like with her book and her judgment and the way that she doesn't want to participate in her sister's bullshit, her disdain for straight people. Very much like the Miranda of the group. And obviously Mm. we know how that ended up in the in the reboot. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Did we talk about Lydia? Oh, my God, Lydia. Yes. No. Yes. Lydia, I think, is she just belongs in a polycule, does Lydia, I think, ultimately. And it's a tragedy that she ended up tied to such a wet blanket of a man. Mm, Talk about someone who gives off very straight energy. (laughs) Yeah. No, Lydia does stress me out a little bit, though, because I feel like she'd be like, flirting with you as a queer person and you just the whole time be like I don't know if this is flirting or not because I don't know if you're queer it's very confusing (laughs) she is a little bit stressful I also think that unfortunately Wickham would probably love this about her Mm. and take advantage of it Mm. um and would be like I would like to watch you with other women Mm. or like with your polycule and so I feel she just needs to get out of that relationship but we all know that yeah I can just see her like having a bad time for a couple of years. I'm manifesting an early death for Wickham. Yeah, we can dream. Yeah. So she can just have an excellent widow era. I mean, in the the Regency era, the widow era was so beautiful for so many women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This brings us to our next fun little game where we are going to go through a couple supporting characters and we're going to discuss their sexualities with you. Um, You have named one already, I think, but most of them are, I tried to pick characters that I thought would not be brought up earlier in the podcast. And I think I've been mostly successful. Excellent. Here we go. Um, Mrs. Jennings from Sense and Sensibility. Oh my God. So I was thinking about this earlier today and I was just saying that I would be absolutely screaming to have a Kate McKinnon, Mrs. Jennings performance. (gasps) I need it. Bring the weird Barbie energy into Mrs. Jennings. That's all I ask for. In this she life. is weird Barbie. Mrs. Ugh. Jennings is weird Barbie. But like middle-aged weird Barbie. It's perfect. Oh my God. I'm obsessed with that. Yeah. 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 Incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Collins. Oh, sweet hon. Um, <laughs> you know what? I think 
I think he may be gay and just have no idea. Oh, no. Just yeah. not a clue. Yeah, I was going to say, I think he he gives off so much straight energy that it's it's intentional. I think that he is trying really hard to be like, I like women, women, just women. And it, he's like somewhere in him. It's like, do you? No, put it down, put it away. So there's, yeah, there's definitely a world in which like, like, I can see him going through the motions of like, this is what I must do. Lady Catherine de Burke told me to marry a woman. I go marry a woman. Literally. Uh, that is what I will do. And that is very like, oh, you, you're not imbuing your own feelings into this whatsoever. No. And the way he just basically picked a Bennett sister at random. And also the obsession with Lady Catherine de Burgh is like, she is the kind of like camp woman that I could see a gay man just becoming kind of obsessed with. She's verging on a drag queen. <laughs> yes, she is. Yes, she yes. is. Uh, the level of um, hair volume and um, mean energy coming off of her does attract a certain uh, amount of gay icon attention, I think. Yeah, I'll, I added her to this list because I thought we would have fun with her. <laughs> I would love to see Dag Levy's performance as Lady Catherine de Bourgh. Oh, <gasps> my God. Oh. Or honestly, Catherine O'Hara as well. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Oh, I love this. Okay. So Catherine de Burke was on the list, but I think gay icon is correct yes. for her characterization. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mrs. Bennett. Mrs. Bennett is exceptionally heterosexual in my mind. I think that's true. Like to the point where I don't even know that she sees women when she walks into a room. Mm. Like it's just purely like what men are here, like looking at the horizon. <laughs> just look a little higher up to see <laughs> most of the men are slightly taller than most of the women. Yeah. So, you know, you have a better, you, you heard like weed out the pack that way. <laughs> well, she's known to have been like Lydia when she was young, but I think that if we took Lydia as being like a modern day polyamorous pansexual person. I think that Mrs. Bennett having existed like 20 years earlier than that didn't have that on her radar as an option. So she was just like really and truly boy crazy. Yeah, 100%. Okay, next one. And I'm very excited for this discussion. Frank Churchill. Oh, right. I mean... If we take Clueless into account, he's canonically gay. That's true. He is the closest to being canonically gay in the entire Austin canon. But if we think about just Frank Churchill. Yeah. Different different story. Because we, we decided that in Clueless, Jane Fairfax is simply like her character is just the queer agenda. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, in re when she is her own human being, though, she does complicate the notion that Frank is just attracted to men. I could see Frank having bi boy energy. Mm -hmm. A different type than Bingley bi boy energy, but very bi -boy different energy. type of bi boy energy. But I could I could see it. But I feel like in terms of the bi spectrum, I think he's like predominantly straight, and then occasionally a man might come across his path who he's like, oh. Yeah, I can see that. I do think that he does kind of glom on to Emma as a BFF in a way that wasn't 
super typical at the time. Like mm. they flirted so much with no intention to act on it, which gives off that sort of like gay best friend energy. But with Jane Fairfax being in the mix and his seemingly genuine love for her. Yeah, I think he he just has to be by. I was going to say, I'm going to put in a vote for maybe Pan. Mm. Um, mm, mm. because I could see him being the type like yeah he would maybe predominantly pull his like romantic partner energy from women but when he's at a bar ass is ass mm. sort of vibe mm, yeah mm, mm. Well, potentially like trans mask energy a little bit Ooh. as well <laughs> Trans mask fuckboy energy. Yeah. Coming off a of friend Churchill. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's such a rich character in terms of what we can, you know, what we can read into him. He just seems to have so much fun being a boy that I feel <laughs> like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? He's yeah. just like more yes. aware of the fact that he's a boy than your average guy. I just feel like, yeah. Oh, that's very true. Yes, <laughs> I think this is our reading. I, I'm putting the stamp of pod and prejudice approval on this reading of Frank Churchill. <laughs> that brings us to our last one. And this one certainly was talked about before, but we'll bring it up one more time for good measure. Our girl, Miss Bates, spinster extraordinaire, cries after picnics, um, talks too much. Oh, I feel like she has bi girl energy to me. I think she just never, I think she just never met the right guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Miss Bates. You know, there's a song by Renee Rapp called Talk Too Much. And I think that Miss Bates, that's her theme song. She's just talking herself out of her own happiness. She just has such a like gorgeous vulnerability. It's just, which for some reason is very bi in my mind. Someone having like a beautiful vulnerability. Yeah. yeah. As Molly, Molly in the check-ins at the beginning of every theater rehearsal can tell you. Yeah. (laughs) Very beautiful. As someone who relates to Miss Bates endlessly, like, yeah. (laughs) I like to think the happy ending for Miss Bates is where we're in the fancy estate that Jane Fairfax and Frank Churchill now have together and Miss Bates gets to wander around making best friends with everyone and not have to worry about like where her next meal is coming from or take charity from anyone. She just gets to like be Pick her flowers. be her goddamn self. Yeah. But also maybe if she doesn't have her imposter syndrome anymore, maybe she won't do quite as much of the nervous chatter. It'll just she can maybe like just like feel a bit more confident and comfortable and chilled. Yeah, because there was a world before um, and, and she was slightly more socially well adjusted. Oh my god, as the as that BBC Emma showed mm-hmm. us, which I had not seen until your coverage of it. And when I mean to say that I sobbed, <laughs> I sobbed. It's so good. And Miss Bates in particular so good. is just there to ruin you. Oh. But also the ending, I kept thinking it was over. And then it kept being these like extra moments on top of moments. I was just sending selfies to my girlfriend of me just like (laughs) sobbing. When Mrs. Bates talked, I lost it. So good. So good. Okay, that was our uh, minor character draft. Molly, do you want to throw in any last minute ones? Ooh, 
I feel like Mr. Willoughby in Sense and Sensibility, just to throw in some extra energy to make my case that Sense and Sensibility is the most gay, Willoughby has lesbian fuckboy energy if I ever saw it. Yeah. Like yeah, just the way that you kind of like, you're kind of like, I'm kind of rooting for you. But at the same time, I can't deny that like you are a bit of a dick. But there's yeah. just no, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's going all in and then pulling all out. Yes. On the, like, turn of a page. Like, yeah. It's less of a straight... I can't really see the straight boy going, like, all the way there with feelings <laughs> for what is essentially a fling. That's so true. Like, he full-on U-hauls her. He brings her yeah. to his home. <laughs> yeah. Says, all of this can be yours, and then ghosts yeah. her. Yeah. I'm into it. I'm into it. I'll I'll throw... Um, I guess Molly and I can each throw in one rando then. Uh, I'll throw in Anne Steele. We've established that Lucy gives off a mean lesbian energy. We're talking about her dumb as rock sister. <laughs> I think I think Anne Steele is is a straight woman. I think that she, <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> she's useless. Although, like, I feel like a butch gal would definitely chat her up, and she'd have absolutely no clue. She would be in a full on relationship before she realized. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She'd be moving in and she'd be like, wait, we're not roommates? <laughs> it's that moment in the movie where she's sitting at the bar and she's like, these girls are being so nice to me. We're like talking about how mean men are. And we just want to say go out to men forever. It's like all the women around her are like trying to fuck. <laughs> Fully Charlotte Lucasing in that episode of Sex in the City where she meets the lesbians. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes, mm. exactly. That's the Anne energy we're mm. talking about. Mm. Um. Sir John Middleton. Mm. Mm. He loves a party. He does. He loves hosting. He does. He does. He does take so much interest in the young women's social lives, but like in a gossipy way. In a way that he's like, I want to hear about the men that you're dating. Yes. Mm. I will maybe put in for um somewhere on the A spectrum based on the fact that every single time someone asks him for information about someone, he's like, really good dog. dog. Yeah. Really good dog. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Incredible. Okay. So for time, I think maybe we should cast one full um, adaptation of a Jane Austen novel with queer icons, which is our final game. We have three to pick from. Emma, Sense and Sensibility, or Pride and Prejudice. Uh, Lee is our guest. Would you like to pick which uh, one we're casting? Let's go. Let's go Pride and Prejudice. Let's go. Let's go classic. Okay. I will list off characters and one of you can shout out who which gay icon is going to play that character. Mm-hmm. Starting with our one and only Elizabeth Bennett. Can I make a case for Ollie Alexander? Ooh, yes, please. I just, I feel like there's just such a stunning, like, feistiness, but also, like, vulnerability that I would really love to see Ollie Alexander's interpretation of that role. Yes, I'm here for it. With Troy Sivan as his Lydia. (gasps) Oh, my God. Yes. Yep. Yep. So Troy Sivan as Lydia, Ollie Alexander as Lizzie. Uh, Who is our Darcy? Elliot Page? Oh, my God. Yeah. 
Yeah, Elliot Page is Darcy for sure. I think I just need an Elliot Page Darcy in my lifetime. And I'm not sure that I'm going to get it, but it's what I would like more than anything. We'll write him a letter. (laughs) We'll request it. Hey, Elliot, if you want to come on this podcast and play Mr. Darcy just for the podcast, we would be more than lucky to read a couple lines. Yeah. Yeah, I'm into that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, Jane Bennett. Oh, she's just so straight of a character. Taylor Swift. <laughs> sure, why not? We'll get Gaylor in there. Yeah. And who who for Charles Bingley? Because as I, I don't think that one's going to Travis. Kelsey. Mm-mm. Who's someone who's just like extremely happy? Oli Cravalho. Oh, mm. yes. Yes. Moana herself. Just like that bubbly energy. Moana herself. Mm. Mm-mm. Yes. Cast Bingley as a literal Disney princess. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Um, Mary. Mm. Ooh. Ooh. Um, oh, God. What's her name from uh, Hacks? Megan Statler, who plays the assistant in it. Oh, sure. She's so fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> we deserve a funny Mary Bennett, I think. We do. We do. Exactly. Although I will say, shouts to Fire Island because the Marion Fire Island is very funny. <laughs> so good. Let's do a couple more. Let's do Caroline Bingley. Oh. Haley Steinfeld? Yes. I'm into it. She could play mean. I know she's done Dickinson, but I feel like would love to see like the other side of the coin for her. Like, let's bring her in as a villain and see how that feels. She has the range. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Our Lady Catherine de Bourgh. Um, I'll put my vote in for Laura Dern. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Or Sarah Paulson. Oh, my God. Or Sarah Paulson. Wait. All right. We have to give it to Sarah Paulson as an actual member of the community. <laughs> yes. But I was going to say then Laura Dern as Mrs. Bennett. Absolutely. Yes. 100%. Although... She plays Marmy in Little Women, and she's so chill in that movie. She could also play a really good Mr. Bennett. Yes. Wait, her Mr. Bennett to, um, who are we giving Mrs. Bennett to then? Um, Laverne Cox. Yes. 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 Oh, this is great. I'm in love. I really would like Catherine Menig to be involved in some way. I think, I think Shane from The L Word deserves a look in somehow. Wickham? Yes. Done. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Oh, wow. This cast is amazing. I'm so excited. I would, I am so excited for this upcoming movie adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. (laughs) And we'll we'll give it one more character. Um, We'll make it tricky for you guys on the last one. Kitty Bennett, the straight girl herself. (laughs) We want someone fun, but super straight. While we're thinking about this, I have to say they will kill us if we don't cast Charlotte Lucas before we go as well. Yes, oh, absolutely. Yes, yes, um, yes. Okay, let's go back like 20 years and cast Natasha Leone as Kitty because mm. like as a straight who is beloved by the queer community, like I think that she, if she was young, she could play that role. And she's funny. Yes. Charlotte, I think we're giving to Janelle Monet. Yes. 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 Nailed it in one. Yes. No notes. 
Janelle Monet taking Ollie Alexander aside to explain why they need to marry Mr. Collins, I think would be an excellent scene that I would just love to watch. Oh, yes. Of the fight that would ensue there. Mm, mm. And then both of them up against Sarah Paulson. <laughs> oh, five out at once. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Oh, well, if anybody who is our listener wants to do a mock-up of this scene, like in Photoshop, <laughs> we don't know how to do any of that, but we would love to see this happen. <laughs> But I do think on that note, that wraps this incredibly gay Jane Austen discussion. Lee, thank you so much for joining us. This was so much fun. Do you want to tell the people where they can find you? Oh my God, thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. This is literally like my specialist subject. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm at Lee Douglas Comedy on Instagram and TikTok. And if you're ever in London, I do stand up all the time. Um, I'm at the Queer Comedy Club in London a lot. Uh, but yeah, I also post on my socials where I'm going to be performing. So yeah. Awesome. Well, we have a lot of listeners in the UK. So check out Lee's stuff in person. Yeah. Listeners, that concludes this very enjoyably queer content for your ears. And so until next time, stay proper. And live your best gay life. Yes. Do it. Be gay, do crime. <laughs> Be day good, do grime. Be day good, do grime. Be day good, grime. <laughs> Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by SpeechDoc Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.